welcome to the DC Beer Show, everybody. I'm Jake. Do you remember me? I'm back. <laughs> Never Brand- heard of him. Yeah, Brandy thinks that shit's <laughs> hilarious because I abandoned you all for a month while <laughs> hanging out in Delaware. Um, that was good. Yeah. That was really good, actually. <laughs> uh, hey, Brandy. Well, well done, Jake. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. What, Brandy, what are you drinking? What am I drinking? In full honesty, I'm going to be truly transparent here right now. I'm not drinking beer. I'm drinking some Amaro. Um, I got my booster shot yesterday, COVID Pfizer, whoop, whoop. Um, and I'm just exhausted. So I kind of wanted, and my stomach's been a little, brrr, so went a little bit of Amaro. Is that Don Ciccio local Amaro? Actually, that's next. I started with the sweet stuff because I felt like having something sweet. So I went with like a old school Amaro, a sweeter Amaro, but Don Ciccio is next. That Fernet is my favorite. And then I also have a little side of Lion Rum. Well, technically, Winded Distilling Now coffee liqueur. I had a light seltzer beer at Other Half earlier. Very lovely. Didn't finish the whole thing because I was feeling a little bleh. But yeah, I came home and had liqueur. So Mike Stein, I hope you're drinking beer <laughs> to recover from my not drinking beer right now. <laughs> you know, I had some Mezcal earlier. Uh, mm. But it didn't. It didn't make it to recording time. I know. Mm. I know. It's wonderful. I had some yep. fresh squeeze OJ. I went right on top. It was wonderful. But I am now drinking a beer from New Anthem at a Wilmington, North Carolina. New Anthem's Sin Highway. I assume Sin Highway means that the road we are paved on, if we don't all ensure voting rights on the federal level. No, I'm fucking with you. Uh, this beer is very hot. Because it's a habanero vanilla cinnamon cacao imperial stout. It's also pretty hot, probably because it's 11.3 ABV. But, you know, I just celebrated my birthday with carrot cake. So having a habanero vanilla cinnamon imperial stout to go with my carrot cake, it's been wonderful. Jake, I heard that you have carrot cake on your birthday every year. Every year. But Mike, that beer sounds like something I might turn into brownies. I don't know if I can hang. It's not sweet. I I think this beer is pretty well attenuated, so it's already dry. And then with the habanero, a healthy dose of habanero and vanilla, it's much more on the Amaro side than it is on the, uh, you know, 99 Bananas side. Shout out to Missy Elliott's favorite, 99 Bananas. Tastes like liquid banana runs. I'm going to shout out, since Mike, you actually dropped this off for me. I've got Puff from Commonwealth, which is actually the brewery whose pastry stout Marveloso I turned into the last batch of brownies. But this is a smoked wheat, Grozitsky style ale. At one point, the colonizers were calling this Grazer, but it is in fact Grozitsky. It is a little bit of smoke, a little bit of wheat, a little bit of coriander to it. It's three and a half percent. It's absolutely crushable. Mike dropped off one can of this for me, and I, I may need to invest in a four-pack of this. So shout out to Virginia Beach's Commonwealth. That is a very nice beer. Yeah, and it seems they've done it right. They did it with 100% oak-smoked wheat. So there is not one wheat kernel that is not smoked in it. So to Jake's point, Grodzicki Pivo, which is the Polish word for the town of Grodzisk, which is this town in Poland, and this style went extinct, but American brewers have been brewing it. It's still not as big as Goza, you know, the the famous wheat beer with coriander. I once found out from a German brewer that there's way more Goza 
in uh, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania than there actually is in Goslar in Leipzig, Germany. <laughs> so we'll see if this smoke beer overtakes Goza. I wouldn't hold my breath, but I love seeing it. Commonwealth, thank you for making it. Yeah, it's really well done. It's a like it's a great example of the style because a lot of Gosas now, at least in the U.S., have added various fruit purees and fun stuff to it. And I say fun, dripping with disdain and sarcasm. Um, yeah. You know what I like, love? Milk sugar. What? Milk <laughs> sugar, that's right. Yeah. Sorry. I'd like to just shotgun an entire pint of uh, <laughs> passion fruit and lactose. But we have a really cool interview today. We've got Jade from Ancho, formerly of The Passenger, and a bunch of other places. Um, she's now GMing at Ancho. She is responsible for their cocktail program. She's just an all-around cool bartender and cool person. Stein, you want to take it away? Yes. Yeah, so we're about to get into our interview with Jade Aldrighetti. Um, she is a wonderful, I don't want to say mixologist or, you know, uh, a cocktail philosophizer, but she really has studied how drinks allow us to connect with people greater than the normal connections we see in everyday life. And she's mastered that. And she has a whole new approach now that Ancho has a new distilling project, a new foraging project. She's really getting her hands dirty, planting the seeds in the soil for this new program that is in a way bridging the gap between the work that she's done in DC for some time and all these exciting new things that are coming down the pike. So here is my interview with Jade, your favorite manager's favorite manager. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Stein, and I'm here with Jade Aldrighetti from Ancho. Jade, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm really eager to have you on the pod, and I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit about your plans given Ancho's recent move. So for those who, who don't know, you have left Florida Avenue and now you're at Kennedy Street. So going from Truxton Circle up to sort of Brightwood area, Kennedy Street. Tell us a little bit about that shift. It's a big shift. And like I've primarily worked at Florida Avenue for the last three plus years. And as like where the restaurant was and definitely bigger and more well-known location and Kennedy Street's definitely been around a number of years now too but it's been much more of a smaller operation and now that Florida's closed and we're moving to Kennedy focusing everything there it's just a fun ambitious transferring of all the energy from Florida to Kennedy and like turning it into something new that wasn't before. It was much more under the radar. Now it's becoming much more on the radar. And we've noticed sort of putting Kennedy Street on the radar. We've seen it mentioned in the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington. We've seen it in the Mid-Atlantic Brewing News. There's been a bunch of press around that. Similarly, you received a bunch of press for your work with the cocktail program at Florida Avenue you had all these wonderful cocktails that got some press in like Washingtonian and The Hill picked them up. And I think even on Politico. Uh, and I was on CNN too. <laughs> CNN. Yeah. I mean, really uh, broadcasting right into the living room of, you know, everyday Americans. So that was your work at Florida. Can you tell us a little bit about the cocktail program that you'll be starting or have already been planning, I should say, have been working on for Kennedy Street? and what you sort of see that moving forward at Kennedy. 
like what you're referring to is mostly like when we were doing our carry out like deliveries and pickups during COVID and providing people with cocktails and so at the time I was creating cocktails that we could bottle and sell and I was working with Cooper one of the owners who's also the designer he was like very into politics and good at thinking of ideas like let's make a drink called this and like make a label for it and make it something tropical so we worked together in that way and that was part of what made that so popular but it was really cool because it was an opportunity for me to create cocktails which was something I hadn't really been doing in a while just because of COVID so it was really cool for me to get back into doing cocktails that way and then COVID kind of started to get better and like we started having service again I was like making less cocktails but so now moving to Kennedy we want to establish a cocktail program there and with me there it's the perfect setup it was really something that wasn't existing there at all before so now it's like kind of the perfect opportunity for me to build something there so to start we're doing like a a pop-up for like a tiki kind of theme while it's still summer and like having kind of tropical drinks and we also have a forager and fermenter Eric Gatter that joined the team recently so he's infusing our own brandy with different forage botanicals and so we have like that to play around with and it's really cool so I'm kind of trying to make drinks based on that too start off with that to kind of launch and then I'll be also just working on having like a menu of like foraged classic cocktails and then hopefully the idea is that can kind of build the culture of where like you just ask the bartender for a drink based on what you like and bartender's choice kind of thing. Um, So I would really like to make Kennedy a cocktail destination that it really hasn't been before. Well, you certainly will if that's your intent. I think your track record speaks for itself, obviously, at at the passenger. And just thinking like 10 years ago, back to 2011, that was the first distillery in D.C. The first distillery opened up 10 years ago. So the cocktail scene with sort of house-made spirit is new. And for Ancho, this is a brand new undertaking that you, like you said, you're going to sort of build up from the ground up. So it's really exciting just from a consumer's perspective, hopefully getting back to sort of like golden days of you sit down, you ask your bartender, your mixologist, whatever, what do you like? What do you have? And then you, it's, it's like a transaction based on the human element. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I've been really digging this or like this is what I've been working on today. Do you want to try or like, you know, it's like an opportunity to like really connect with people. Precisely. And that's the work, right? You've you've done a ton of work over the last two years. I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the work you've done, um, not just in regards to cocktails, but your work, maybe just starting with designing a drinks menu, using forage food, forage syrup, you know, creating your own syrups or citrus concoctions and liqueurs. What work outside of just the sort of raw hustle of getting a drinks menu together, putting a cocktail program together? What work over the last couple of years do you feel like sort of transcends assembling ingredients for a drink? I think a little bit about what I want, <laughs> like what I feel like at the time, but then also like what's going to go well together, also like what's seasonal, also what I have like at my disposal. 
And as far as thinking about like a menu, you really have to like think about a balance. And that also includes the the zero proof cocktails. Um, you know, just kind of like thinking about having something for everyone. You got to think about names too. <laughs> Basically, there's a lot that goes into it, and it's also um, thinking about who your clientele is and what they want. So, like, you don't want to be too crazy with like crazy flavors. You want to have things that are a little more accessible or like comparable to something else. Say like. This is kind of like a Manhattan, or this is an old-fashioned, or like this is a martini, but it's made with our house-infused gin. You mentioned zero-proof cocktails, and mm-hmm. I know some people use the term mocktails. Right. I should ask you <laughs> on the record, what do you like calling a drink that takes time to produce, <laughs> that puts thought into the name, <laughs> that has 0.0 alcohol by volume? <laughs> We were just discussing this as a team. Mocktails is an easy word to use, but I think actually mocktails is a little bit outdated. So zero proof is what we're going with. It's clear and it it, it sounds good. It has the clarity, right? It's like, how much proof is in this? Zero proof. Zero. Boom. Like <laughs> right away, you know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I really love it because. In our realm, it's kind of like non-alcoholic beer. And it's interesting because um, non-alcoholic beer still has 0.5%, which is crazy. And so like I wrote a piece a little while back about it, and I, I had come to find out that there was actually more alcohol by volume in soy sauce in like the fermented sauce we all use in our rice noodle steak. And that was fascinating to me because I wrote the piece about Athletic Brewing Company, and they're like one of the fastest growing. It was either New York Times or Wall Street Journal piece, and they had gone from like 2,000 barrels to 20,000 barrels, moving from Connecticut to California. There was, And so there's this huge push. And it's not like you sacrifice your effort for these drinks, right? Like there's still all of the work that goes into a traditional cocktail, just no alcohol. Sometimes even more, yeah. because if you don't have like batched up and it's like you're doing it off the cuff, it's kind of even harder because you're like, okay, what can I do? Whereas like making a cocktails, everything's usually in front of you. Zero proof cocktails are like a little more challenging because you got to think about it a little more. I know you've had a lot of input. You've worked closely with Rachel, one of the other co-owners of Ancho during Women's History Month. And I'm curious if you can tell our listeners as well as our readers a little bit about the work you've done during Women's History Month. Last year, 2020, <laughs> we planned having the Women's Month cocktail competition, and that would have been a live competition at Ancho on Florida Avenue. I had the competitors lined up, and had, we even had a date scheduled. It was kind of a bummer when we found out we were going to have to call it off but it was like we obviously had to do it but so yeah what I um chose and reached out to six women in the industry in DC and asked them to create a cocktail either inspired by a woman that inspires them or a time in their experience in the industry where they felt empowered as a woman So everyone agreed and was very excited about it. And the whole thing that we would do for Women's Month is we only serve and pour woman-made or owned ingredients. And so that is another kind of part of the challenge. It's like you can make your own syrups or tinctures or whatever, but curated a list of 
all women-owned or made products, from bitters to sodas, syrups, spirits. So yeah, it was really cool. It was definitely like an undertaking, but it was awesome. So anyway, we had to we had to call that off. And then when COVID started, we were just thinking, is there any way we can do some type of thing? Because we were doing bottled cocktails to some extent for deliveries and like pickup orders. What I did was I went back to that email chain and contacted all the women who had agreed to participate in the competition. And I said, hey, we're going to do it like this. And we're going to sell all these cocktails um, as a box set in our shop. And people can also buy them individual. We're going to have sell them with little cards that have your picture, where you work. So everyone sent me their recipes and their stories. It was super cool. Then we like built boxes and we sold so many of them. It was awesome. And I batched all the drinks. <laughs> like it was like it was quite quite a project. I think I made like batches of like a hundred drinks throughout the whole time. And it went really well. We sold them throughout the month. We sold individual ones. We raised over a thousand dollars for Planned Parenthood. So anyway, that was that. It was really cool. That was probably definitely my biggest project thus far since I've been doing cocktails for Anto. It's amazing to hear the work that went into it because, you know, obviously I was aware it was on my radar of what was going on, but you and Rachel and Ancho support Women's History Month in such a robust way. You know, on the beer front, you have female brewers or female brewery owners. On the wine front, you know, you have uh, female-owned or female-led wineries. And then with the cocktails, it's like so much work. I mean, if we're talking, you know, like multiple batches, you're talking about 10 gallons of cocktails or... Oh, yeah. I just get like the biggest container from the kitchen and just like fill it up to the very top, like batching, <laughs> and then bottle it all up like into like eight-ounce bottles. And then label each and every one. And Cooper made the labels, which was like amazing. They were also they were also cool. It was just like such a great project. So we know, given your history, they would be excellent tasting. We know, given the pool that you worked with, the recipes would be just absolutely stellar. But then to have the art and the sort of production side go along with that, it's like when new art and new labels meet new cocktails with a new story to tell. It's like the perfect union. And then ultimately to give, you know, a thousand bucks to Planned Parenthood, that totally transcends, I think, the grind, the in the trenches or in the earth sort of foraging or the work, you know, the getting your hands dirty work. The payoff is is there, definitely. is It's very satisfying work. So you have all these projects. You've got the Zero Proof Cocktails, you know, uh, we know about the Ancho Apple Brandy that's forthcoming that will that will blend into the cocktail program. What are you most excited about or looking forward to in the months coming up? Most excited about making it more of a constant thing instead of like, you know, pop-ups are kind of like exciting, but also like stressful, but like really just making it a thing, like getting comfortable at Kennedy and getting people used to the fact that they can get cocktails. I know a lot of a lot of cocktails and like so what's really exciting for me is that I have these house infusions and I can make pretty simple drinks but like that's exciting because like you know the other day I was making like brandy, lemon, grenadine and then like an absinthe rinse. Very, very simple, but really cool. And I was making it for people the other night at the bar and like it was great. Everyone liked it. I'm just excited to like grow that brand 
and just have like a menu of like classic cocktails and then be able to do like cocktail of the day or cocktail of the week. You are already, you know, established in the cocktail world, but now hopefully this this is like permanent home where something simple that's just three ingredients. You have one house-made ingredient that can play out in a million different ways, but it doesn't need a lot to support it because you know how to make it the encyclopedic or the uh, by-the-book way so that when you have a new ingredient that is well-made, you can sort of riff on that. Right. There's nothing wrong with basic, but like, you know, here you have an old-fashioned. Oh, this old-fashioned is made with house-made curacao or like maraschino instead, and it has like orange bitters or something. And also just like the foraged ingredients thing, like I don't think anyone else is doing that quite to that extent, like making our own spirit with things that we've foraged, you know? Like one of the batches is like hickory, juniper berries, wild carrot flower, bee balm, and aronia berries. (laughs) So, yeah, it's pretty cool. (laughs) I have not heard of another one in the world, not alone in in the metropolitan D.C. region. That is super unique. I think that's insanely cool, given the sort of seasonal nature of how you've always done it with back of house with the raw ingredients going into the menu, the food preparation, and then now sort of into the cocktail program. It's super exciting. You know, these simple ingredients are greater than the parts of theirs. There's some, and and I feel like you are building a program that ultimately the sum will be greater than all of the parts. Um, So we're really looking forward to coming to see you at Kennedy and, and seeing the work, you know, seeing the work that you put in, Jade. Oh, that's so nice to hear. I can't wait to see you there. Are you going to bring the fam? I certainly am. I certainly am. Yeah, you might get, you know, three generations of Steins. So zero proof cocktail for the youngest Stein. and Maybe zero proof for the oldest Stein too. But thank you so much for recording with us, Jade. I I really appreciate um, the time you spent with us today. On a final note, DC Beers listener, I should say, in full disclosure, I have done some work with Ancho. They have paid me for that work. I've received no pay for this work. It's all for the love. For you, the listeners, we brought this wonderful interview to you. We have to thank Jade. Thank you so much for being with us. All right. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. And thank you, Jade. And thank you, Ancho. You will be getting, I would say, perhaps three pounds of Hughes crab apples from the tree outside my house, which you can then press and turn those meager amounts of apple harvest into a couple drops of cider. Three cheers for local apples, foraging. It's pawpaw season. But almost more importantly, we're getting to Oktoberfest season. Brandy, what's going on? So I'm happy to report that there are so many breweries coming out with Oktoberfest beers. And before we get into our little tasting that we're going to have on Thursday, which we'll report on the next show, I want to give a shout out to all the fun breweries that I visited this past week. I went and visited Tanike, which is up near kind of Annapolis area, like Kent Island, and had a really lovely time there. Great place. My favorite beer was a it's called Georgian. It's a Fodor aged. It had Brett in it. Oh god, it was so good. Anyway, go there. It was lovely. <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, and then we hung out at Rocket Frog and Port City. Had already had their Oktoberfest beer out and snagged a couple of packs of that for our tasting on Thursday. 
Great place. Had some delicious beers there. I haven't been there in a while. Rocket Frog is also coming out with an Oktoberfest beer, but that's towards the end of the month. So, you know, keep an eye out for that. But shout out to Richard. Great, great hangs while we were there. And then went to a place I had been to while I was over that area. Went to Lost Boy Cider. And it was super delicious. They had three or four different flights on the menu. And they, they catered the flights, you know, to tasting notes. Had just the best time. Cool space. Um, good ciders. They had dry dry ciders. Some Some sweeter. Very, very fun place to hang out. So check them out. But on to Oktoberfest stuff. I know that I mentioned a couple of Oktoberfests that are happening towards the end of the month. We have the other half, Oktoberfest, and they have a whole bunch of guest taps, which is very, very, very exciting. So it's uh, it's going to be like an all weekend thing, which is kind of fun. No, it's on the it's on the 18th, I think. Yeah, no, yeah all weekend. Saturday the 18th. Um, Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. they're going to bring in locals like DC Brow, but also exactly. out-of-towners. Atlanta's Halfway Crooks is going to be there. Halfway Crooks does this real solid job with loggers. Wheatland Spring. Wheatland Spring is Woo-hoo. doing theirs both 18th and 19th. Yeah, we're going to be there. Us, come t- come hang the out 19th. with DC Beer on yes. the 19th. Yeah, at Wheatland Spring. Shout out to Bonnie. Hey, what's up? Oh, one more last thing before I get off and before we talk about the tasting next time. We have a whole bunch of fun beers. But uh, Sankofa and Allagash's beer, the collab, is now available uh, in D.C. Go snag it. It's called Woven in Time. And it's going to be delicious. I can't wait to taste it. Have you had it yet, Mike and Jake? I have not. I have not. But it's in my fridge right now. <gasps> it arrived no. in the Are you going to bring it on Thursday? I certainly can from Barrel, Yay! yeah, from Barrel and Flow, Black Owned, Black Brewed, Black Operated Beer Festival. That's going to happen not the weekend of the 18th, but the weekend of the 11th in Pittsburgh. I have a collaboration box of those beers. It's like 15 of them. In closing, uh, just keep <laughs> keep an eye out for you know not only DC Beers post on social media. But, you know, all the local breweries, go follow them. You know, we you hear us talking about them. Go on their Instagram page or the Facebook page and follow them. Give them shout-outs. Pick up their beer. But there are going to be a lot of events coming out, and we're going to make sure we share those and rep and hype, and we're pumped because it's Oktoberfest. Yes, it's fall. <laughs> the, best, the best season in so, so many ways. You could have rhymed that. You could have been like fall, the best season of Not of them all, but you just <laughs> went a different direction. We are different people. It's the most wonderful time for a beer. You know, Brandy, it's, just, it's not a stylistic choice that I would have made. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I love you. I've missed you. Yay, Jake's back. It's nice to be back. Right, so on that note, we're at DC Beer across social media. Follow us, follow the local breweries, drink our rental Helperfest. We're going to talk a lot more about that next episode. Be safe. Be excellent to each other. Sit big. Right? Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Ancho. See you in the fall lager. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>